The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. 16th day of January, PFT PM. Getting right to it. Five down territory, and then your questions. We get some guests lined up for later in the week. I don't want to mention who they may be because you never know that you're going to get them for sure. And I don't want to jinx it. I'm superstitious. Not really. I'm not a big fan of the superstitions, in part because my dad was as superstitious as they'd become. I was talking to a buddy of mine about this today. All the Italian superstitions. First day of school, first grade, dress shirt, shirt pocket, left side. My dad grabbed the salt shaker and started dumping it into my pocket. It's like, what's going on here? I'm six. It's like, there's no food in there. What are you putting salt in there for? And that's a lot of salt. So, good luck. Evil spirits. The, the Italians had this weird disconnect between religion and this bizarre seat-of-the-pants idolatry and this notion that people put the evil eye on you. And you had the necklace with the little, the little horn, and then you had the necklace with the, the hand making the, the Gene Simmons two-finger, the hook'em horns, and... I never came across anybody that was actually putting spells on Italians. Like all the Italians were worried about somebody who was putting spells on them. I guess at night they went home and put spells on their enemies in secret. They were all obsessed with someone putting the evil eye on them. Anyway, I don't know why I even got into that. Something about superstitions. And I can't even remember what sparked it. Maybe somebody put the evil eye on me to cause my memory to go blank. I do remember one thing from today, though. I did report. And look, let me peel back the curtain a little bit. Sometimes there are stories we chase. Sometimes there are stories that just kind of fall into our laps. Because people know we've got a fairly large platform. A fairly significant megaphone in the NFL business. And I've said before... And I'll say it right now. If we saturated the fan base the way that we saturate the industry, teams, coaches, players, agents, media, our traffic would be 20 times higher than it is. Not that it's bad, but if we could saturate all the fans out there the same way we saturate the people who do this for a living, I could retire. Not that I want to. What do I do? Just sit around and type and talk all day. Basically, the same thing I'd do if I was retired. So anyway, something came to me today. Reliable source as opposed to the usual unreliable sources I have. I never feel compelled to distinguish one source over another. 
but I'd only post something that I firmly believe in from a source that I trust. And the story was and is that some of the limited partners who own chunks of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they ended up buying chunks of the Steelers about 10 years ago because some of the members of the Rooney family expanded their gambling interest beyond what the league allowed. Previously, they owned horse or dog tracks, which was permitted for some reason. But then they added slot machines or lottery machines or whatever they are, video poker. It went beyond the NFL's prohibition. I remember there were teams that were upset at the time because the league bent over backwards to give the Roonies as much time as they needed to fix the issue. They were in blatant violation of the gambling policy for an extended period of time. Finally, they fixed it by the selling off of the interests of the Roonies who chose gambling interests that violated league rules over owning a piece of the Steelers. And that's how it worked. So that introduced a collection of limited partners, one of which was Jimmy Haslam, who several years later would have the opportunity to buy the Cleveland Browns. And some of the others, Thomas Tull, former CEO of Legendary Pictures, the Paul family of Pittsburgh, which, I don't know, they own something. They all have a lot of money. You don't end up owning a piece of an NFL team unless you're rich. It's an asset that appreciates dramatically, but you got to have a lot of assets before you can get your asset in one of those chairs. So the story is, some of those folks, and I can't name names, I won't name names, until I'm authorized to name names, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. Some of those folks intend to lobby Art Rooney, the majority owner, or at least the controlling owner of the team. He doesn't own a majority of the team. That would imply more than 50%. He owns enough to comply with league rules. They want to lobby him to make a coaching change. And I really didn't know how this was going to be received because there are a lot of Steelers fans that would like to see Mike Tomlin go. Faced with the prospect of Tomlin going, however, a lot of them changed their tune. It's like they are very careful what they wish for. They want to reserve the right to complain about Tomlin, but they fear what door number two would entail. And here's the thing. If that job pops open, I don't know who you can get, but I think you'd have your pick of qualified candidates. I think some of these other coaches who have tentative deals to take over other jobs would be willing to maybe reconsider the jobs they've tentatively accepted. And there may be some other guys out there who suddenly are interested in getting out of their current jobs to take a position with a team that is a model for stability. See, it would be so hard for the Steelers to do anything with Tomlin because that's just not their way. Now, Chuck Knoll eventually was nudged. He was only 59 when he retired, and it continues to be amazing to me that his name never came up again as somebody who could consult with a franchise, coach a franchise. He was such a key ingredient in the turnaround of a team that was so bad for so long. And he coached that team from 1969 through 1991 and retired at 59 and never was involved again. And it's amazing 
that that happened. And maybe it was a product of the era. Back in those days, we didn't have this class of coaches emeritus who were involved in consulting. And if they did, it was far less formal than it is now. Not that it happens on a formal basis, but people know about it more. And more of these owners are willing to seek out the help of people like a Bill Parcells. John Gruden was big into consulting with teams. Officially, unofficially, whatever. So, Noel, after 23 years, was nudged away. Bill Cower walked away. Mike Tomlin has coached since 2007. That's three coaches since I was four years old. Three coaches in 49 years. And, you know, it's almost like a vomit streak. Boy, that's a bad comparison. But everybody's got that vomit streak. Unless you vomit a lot. Unless you're bulimic. Then you calculate it in hours, I guess. But I know for me, I can rattle them all off. 1976, 1989, 1993, 2004. That's it. Full-blown, full-out, you know, unpleasant heaving. Awful. I hate that. And you want to keep it going. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not something you look forward to doing. And there's a certain amount of pride in it. I remember that from one of the Seinfeld episodes. It cracked me up. He knew the last time he vomited until he ate that black and white cookie that messed him up. So I think the Steelers like the fact that they have that kind of stability, but this is real. And I'm not surprised that there's some discontent coming out of that loss to the Jaguars. Second loss to the Jaguars this season, both of them in Pittsburgh. Now, in addition to the Patriots, they have a Jaguars problem. They can't get past them. They will play again in the regular season next year because the Jaguars won the division, the Steelers won the division. Every third year, they play every team in the AFC South anyway, but if both teams win a division, they definitely are guaranteed to play each other the next year. And We've detailed some of the coaching deficiencies from Sunday. Situational coaching. Not a strong suit of Mike Tomlin. And ask yourself this. If Bill Belichick was the coach of the Steelers, would they have lost a game this year? If Bill Belichick was coach of the Steelers, would they have been in disarray after the Jesse James touchdown was overturned? If Bill Belichick was coach of the Steelers, would they have... Kicked an onside kick with 218 remaining and two timeouts, or would they have kicked it away? If Bill Belichick were coach of the Steelers and they had the ball first and goal from the five with 47 seconds left down 10, would they have taken the field goal, kicked onside, and tried to get the ball back with the potential game-tying touchdown 60 yards away, 65 yards away, maybe 60 yards away? That's what it would be, 60 or 55 yards away. Sorry. Bill Belichick would have handled that team a lot differently. And there is a lack of discipline within that team from the Facebook Live incident of a year ago to the lack of discipline shown by Tomlin himself in looking ahead past opponents. That's something Belichick definitely wouldn't do. It's that laser focus one game at a time, one week at a time, on to Cincinnati, on to the Jets, on to the next team, on 
to the next team. And then you win the Super Bowl. You celebrate for a couple of days, and then it's on to the next season. It's a never-ending cycle. You have to be a tormented, tortured soul to thrive in that environment because you can't let yourself enjoy. You do take some time, but once you're in preparation mode, once you're in football season mode, that's all that matters. And it was a stunning lack of personal discipline that caused Mike Tomlin to be far more candid with Tony Dungy than he wanted to be. And I look, now I understand why so many coaches dabble in coach speak. If they don't know how to speak candidly without saying things that make them look foolish, then just speak in cliches and say nothing. There is a way to be real. There is a way to be authentic. There is a way to be candid without sacrificing a strategic edge. Bill Belichick opts just to avoid all of that for a variety of reasons. I mean, he's got... There's something about him from a social interaction standpoint that is different than other people. Chris Sims has talked about it on PFT Live, walking down the hall when he was working in New England. Bill Belichick won't acknowledge him. And that happens with others who work there. I've seen him at league meetings. There is an interpersonal awkwardness there that he's never evolved past because he hasn't had to. There's no reason to. It doesn't benefit what he's doing. I still have a certain degree of that. There are certain circumstances where I just can't communicate. Anything that has to do with a funeral home, I never know what to say, how to say it. I feel paralyzed the whole time. I've never gotten comfortable in that setting. There are certain settings where I'm not comfortable. I've gotten comfortable, very comfortable in the areas where I have to be. I remember there was a time when I would do these interviews and feel intimidated by the athlete, afraid I'm going to ask a stupid question. After asking us stupid questions, you're no longer afraid of asking them. Now it's like, I don't care. I'll ask anybody whatever question I have to ask. Not that I'm disrespectful. See, just because I'm candid with my opinions doesn't mean that when I talk to somebody, when someone's a guest on my show, unless I feel like they deserve it, like we roughed up Joe Mixon a little bit last year with some of the questions we asked him because I felt like he deserved to be asked some tough questions, and I felt like he had never been asked tough questions publicly about that ugly incident from when he was at Oklahoma. But usually my attitude is, I mean, 99.999 times out of 100, I'll, I'll be very respectful. Anyway, I'm going down that rabbit hole. Oh, it's about Belichick. Anyway, I'm not saying Belichick's going to be the next coach of the Steelers. He won't be. He's staying with New England. And I'm not reporting that Mike Tomlin is going to be fired. I'm not saying he should be fired. The only way that this has any relevance is if Art Rooney has misgivings about Tomlin already and he starts hearing about it from people that he presumably respects who have significant financial achievements in their life where they were born into it. Either way, they've managed the money that they've gotten to the point where they can invest in the significant asset that is an NFL team. I just think it's something to keep an eye on. And I go back to 2007. The word on the street was that Art Rooney wanted to hire Russ Grimm to replace Bill Cowher. Dan Rooney wanted to hire Mike Tomlin to replace Cowher. And Dan won. Art's now running the show. And there's always been a sense 
of something between Art and Tomlin. Tomlin and Art, very different guys. And, hey, they went 13-3. and But I think it is fair to ask the question, how much of the failures fall on the coach? The loss to the Patriots that destined Pittsburgh to go to New England in the AFC Championship game if they got there. The two losses at home to the Jaguars. How much of that falls on the coach? How much of it falls on Todd Haley? Second down. Offensive coordinator Todd Haley's contract is up. Mike Tomlin met with reporters today. He was not inclined to discuss the status of any members of the staff. I get the feeling Heinz Ward's going to be the new receivers coach. If you noticed him on the sidelines at the game on Sunday in the coaching gear, interacting with players, it feels like he's moving in that direction. So you have another player like Joey Porter, the linebackers coach, maybe Heinz Ward, who's been in the media. He was with NBC. I haven't seen him on CNN in a long time. I have a feeling he's not doing that anymore. Nice guy. Great guy. One of the favorite guys that I've been around. He tells some great stories. I'll tell you what, the stories he tells off the air, oh my God. If he'd say half that stuff on the air, must see TV. He has some great stories from his time in Pittsburgh, and his time in Pittsburgh could be continuing, but Tomlin didn't want to talk about any of that. What's odd, though, is the conflicting claims as it relates to Ben Roethlisberger and Todd Haley. We had Ed Bouchette of the Post-Gazette on Monday suggesting that Roethlisberger's new desire to stick around, reportedly telling teammates he's going to play for three more years at least. How do you reconcile that with last year when the Tuesday after the Steelers lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, Roethlisberger started the Brett Favre retirement watch, making it clear, number one, that he was going to contemplate retirement that offseason. Number two, it was something he was going to do on an annual basis. Bouchette says, well, that came after Todd Haley was a little rough verbally on Roethlisberger. And I guess it was more speculation than anything else or dot connecting, which I have no problem with. But maybe now that Haley's contract is up, Roethlisberger making it more clear that he's he's willing to stick around because there's going to be a new offensive coordinator. And Roethlisberger's been doing this passive-aggressive thing about his ability to change plays at the line of scrimmage, to call a, a quarterback sneak on fourth and one instead of throwing the ball down the field or running a sweep to the outside. He said he's asked for it. He's fine with it. If they want to call it, I'm all for it. He said that on 93.7 The Fan today. He he created the impression, though, that he doesn't have the authority to call that audible. Now, Mike Tomlin was asked about that today, and his answer was just a meandering, understandable, not understandable. Not understandable. Different than understandable. It, it just conflicting and vague and I I don't know why your quarterback doesn't have the ability to call whatever play he wants to call in whatever circumstance. If he wants to call an audible, he should be able to call an audible, especially when he's been around for 15 years, almost. Now, on top of that, in the same interview, according to the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, Roethlisberger suggested the least amount of change, the better. So he seems to want Todd Haley around. Look, I think he doesn't want to be blamed if Todd Haley ends up gone. But I, 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 I get the impression, and there's been plenty of reports about the relationship between Todd Haley and Ben Roethlisberger, and the quarterback's coach was summoned down from the, the booth to be on the sideline to serve as the buffer between the two guys. I don't think it's unreasonable 
to assume that Haley and Roethlisberger don't have the relationship they should have. And I think there was a lot of effort when Haley first arrived to create the impression that they are getting along because most people were saying they're not going to get along. So I still get the feeling Haley's out. If Haley wasn't going to be out, he'd already have a contract. Remember this, though, six years ago, Bruce Arians had a contract that was expiring. Mike Tomlin told Arians he's getting him one, and then Tomlin came back and said, I can't do it. And Arians was upset about that. Arians retired. Remember that? The team said he retired, and a lot of people said that's baloney, and the team didn't appreciate that, but it was baloney. Because then Arians went to Indy, coach of the year in 2012 as the interim head coach and offensive coordinator, coach of the year in Arizona, two-time coach of the year, not a bad retirement for Bruce Arians. With Haley, I don't think they'll, they'll try that same game. He's considerably younger than Arians was, but... I just get the feeling Haley's out. I'll be surprised if Haley stays. Because if he was going to stay, he'd already be staying. Drew Brees has reiterated that he's staying in New England. This is third down. He told reporters today, I'm not in the mood to make anything secretive. It's the same way I felt two days ago. It's the same way I felt 12 years ago. That is that. I'll be here as long as they'll have me. Hopefully. That's fine, but Drew has always driven a hard bargain with the Saints. Franchise tag in 2012 grievance aimed at creating leverage. He's the one who is responsible for the ruling that if a guy gets tagged a third time, he gets the 44% raise or quarterback money if he's an on-quarterback. He'd been tagged once by the Chargers. He was tagged in 2012 by the Saints, and he won the grievance that made it clear that if they tagged him the next year, he'd have gotten a 44% raise or whatever his tag number was in 2012, even though the Saints had never tagged him before that year. They stack as you move from team to team. It's one of the reasons why any of these young players coming up for free agency wait to be tagged. It's important to be tagged because you get one tag, then later in your career you get two, then after that, as a practical matter, you're probably never getting tagged again. So Breeze, always a great businessman, closer to Peyton Manning than Tom Brady on the scale of willingness to take less. Manning's attitude, just like Darrell Rivas, it's not my job to manage a salary cap. It's your job. Take every dollar you can. Get everything you're worth. Now, with Breeze making it clear he's going to stick around, he's kind of given up some of his leverage. And if the Saints put the screws to him at all, and they could, they could be emboldened to put the screws to him now. They could say, hey, this guy's on the record multiple times twice with reporters and once on social media saying he's not leaving. Well, not that they'd offer him peanuts, but he's more likely to take whatever they offer. Now, maybe they've already poked around a little bit. Drew Brees and his agent, Tom Condon, as to who else may be interested, and they already know who'd be interested and for how much. I mean, I think the Broncos would be interested, but I don't see them paying a ton of money. That's not what the Broncos do. The fact that Breeze is saying this, I think he's already got an idea of what the Saints are going to offer, and he's got an idea of what else he could get. Because the non-playoff teams, they, they, they have their plans. They know what they're thinking. And even the playoff teams, look, it's, when you're one of these agents who represents a bunch of people, you can phone call anyone you want, anytime you want, and you can have hypothetical conversations. 
And even before Indianapolis, where it's tampering central, you can find out. You can have, they're not tapping phones. Now, it becomes glaring if it's one person representing one client. If there's only one client that the Drew Brees agent had, then it's a little awkward. But Condon has reason to call every team in the in the NFL anytime he wants. I think they already know that the Saints are going to do the best deal. This repeated effort by Brees to make it clear he's staying tells me that it's just a matter of time before Brees signs a new contract. And the only way that that gets screwed up, I believe, is if the Saints decide that they're going to put the screws to him. And whatever preliminary conversations they may have had, well, they've changed their mind. The Giants apparently won't be changing their mind about Pat Shermer, the former Browns head coach, now the Vikings offensive coordinator, poised to become the new coach of the Giants based upon multiple reports. And here's the problem with the Giants. We discussed this today on PFT Live, but I had to deal with stats and sims, so I want to I address this again because I think it's important to understand the significance of creating the right message for the media. There was a perception that the Giants really wanted and had a shot at getting Matt Patricia. There was a perception the Giants really wanted Josh McDaniels. Both of those guys are going elsewhere now. And when there was a report that Patricia McDaniels and Shermer are the three finalists, and there were reports last week that Patricia was the first choice or he was likely to get the job with the Giants. And I'm told the Giants were never in play. It was always the Lions for Patricia. And McDaniels now emerging as the guy in Indy. Shermer looks like the third choice. See, I think the Giants misplayed this search. And I think part of it is this belief that the Giants are some sort of gold standard gig that no one in their right mind would turn down. It's the the cliched dude who has money and power and says, I can get any woman I want. Well, maybe you can't. I think the Giants think they can get any coach they want. The moment that they hired Dave Gettleman, that slammed the door on McDaniels and probably Patricia. Patricia is going to go work with Bob Quinn, his good friend from his time with Quinn in New England. And McDaniels didn't want to work with Gettleman. So I don't know why the Giants let it get to the point that McDaniels and Patricia were finalists when they're never taking the jobs. Unless the game was to put the squeeze on Shermer financially, make him think that they were going to go the other way. But any, no, no, that's baloney. That the agents knew, people knew what was going on, and now the perception is that Shermer was the third force choice for the job. Now, the good news is Odo Beckham Jr. seems to be very happy that Pat Shermer is getting the job, and that's going to be job number one, striking the right relationship with Odo Beckham Jr., He's the guy who has transcendent talent, but he has to be handled a certain way. And that's just the way it is. And Shermer needs to be ready to do it. And I see the comments from Mike Holmgren to the New York Daily News, and I'm concerned that maybe, just maybe, Shermer is going to have to work on that a little bit. That, that there's some rough spots to his personality that need to get ironed out a little bit. That he needs to not just use the stick, but also the carrot to get the most out of his players. 
especially in New York where everything is magnified. And really, of all the jobs that were open, I think the Giants from a quarterback standpoint is the least desirable because all the other ones have a quarterback. The Cardinals don't, so you have a clean slate. The Giants have one, but for how long? The way Dave Gettleman talks, they intend to keep Eli Manning this year. So here comes Shermer, and one of his strong points is he could deliver one of the Vikings quarterbacks. And I think Sam Bradford is the guy to watch because Bradford ended up in Minnesota in large part because he'd worked with Shermer before in Philadelphia. But you think Sam Bradford is going to the Giants if Eli Manning is the starter and they're committed to Eli Manning for 2018? I don't think that's happening. So there's just this sense that the Giants are going to wave a magic wand and everything's going to be fine. And 2017 was an aberration. And look, I I respect what Dave Gettleman did with the Panthers. But I I think everybody's got their work cut out for them on this one. And I think it's, it's, as a practical matter, going to take some time to get this team to where it needs to be. Fifth down, stay in New York. The Jets have announced a fairly significant drop in season ticket prices. They're cutting their 2018 season tickets by an average of 11%. I rarely see these reductions in double digits. More than half of the seats at MetLife Stadium are going to see price decreases in 2018. Prices of the remaining seats will remain the same. They also have a two-year price freeze on season tickets for fans who sign up for 10 to 12-month automatic payment options for March 1. Fans who renew by March 1 are also having their seats lowered. And they also get 20 to $40 per seat in Jets cash. I don't know if that's like Shroot Bucks or what that is. Here's the thing, though. This is the first indication I've noticed in this time on the calendar when we hear about what teams are going to charge or what they're not going to charge by way of increases or decreases for tickets. This is the first one this cycle. And I think we're starting to see the the product of fans not showing up for games and teams being concerned. And it's all supply and demand. It's all setting the right price point. And to sell more of these tickets, it looks like they're going to have to drop the price point. It'll be interesting to see how many of the teams do the same thing. It's driven team by team. And look, the Jets haven't been great. But some of these other teams, like the Ravens, who almost made it to the playoffs, I think they're going to have to do something. The Titans, I think one of the reasons they moved on from Mike Malarkey. I heard at their regular season home finale, it was a a sparse crowd. And they were playing for a playoff spot. So I think we're going to see more of these teams dropping prices. And that also relates to, and this is kind of co-fifth down, the news that ABC is going to get in on the Thursday night package. The NFL's Thursday night package for broadcast expired after the 2017 season. There is no deal right now for 2018. They've asked for bids. ABC's in on it. I assume NBC will be in on it. Again, they only wake me up for the unimportant meetings. CBS, I presume, will be in on it. I don't think NBC, based upon reports I've seen, wants the whole thing. They want to keep it the way it currently is. Maybe ABC replaces CBS. Maybe ABC's interest isn't real. Maybe ABC is just acting like they're interested to ensure that that other companies will maintain the level that they did. This is an important spot for a win for the NFL. The NFL needs to be able to say, we had $450 million last year, really the last two years, from CBS and NBC combined for Thursday Night Football. This year we're getting $550 million, $600 million, whatever it is. And one thing I've learned... Those numbers, I don't know how trustworthy they are. 
Amazon didn't pay $50 million for streaming rights last year. I was told that by folks within Amazon. And usually the NFL's partner doesn't want to push back. Hey, if the NFL wants to claim that they're paying more than they are, so be it. They want to puff up the property, so be it. We know the truth. I think the NFL wants to continue to create the impression that it is a TV product that is in high demand. And it's a great gig for the NFL. Three-hour infomercial that someone else pays you a hell of a lot of money for the privilege of televising. And three-letter networks continue to be a key part of that. I'm not just saying that because PFT is affiliated with one and I separately work for one. But the three-letter networks gather bigger crowds than cable. They just do. Because there are still millions of people who get their TV over the air. And that's not going to change. Because a lot of it is income disparity. There's a huge gap, a technological gap. And the NFL and the networks, they look, the NFL wants this, this content in front of as many people as possible. And the networks, they, they are catering to those people. Even if those people don't have as much money as the folks who have cable and satellite and every streaming service on earth and every other technological advance, the people who don't have cable or satellite or internet are still buying stuff. They're not living in a cave somewhere with a TV they found that someone was throwing out and they've connected a coat hanger to it to get one station. The people who don't have cable, satellite, or internet still buy things. They're still part of the target audience. They're still part of the people who buy things and make the entire world go round. All right, that's it for five downs. Let's get into some questions. Let's see what's here today. It's kind of a weird day because there isn't a lot happening. But there's still 45 questions. And hang on a second. My wife just tried to call me. I need to let her know that I'm busy in case it's important. Hang on. Multitasking. Highly professional, I know. I just need, She's out and about and it's snowing. And I may have to go if she is stuck somewhere. I'll find out. All right, at Sergio1D, your thoughts on the role Tom Coffin plays on Sunday as the one coach that has been a thorn in the side of Belichick and Brady. I feel it's been underreported. I, I wrote a story about it Sunday night. That's one of the first things that fascinated me about this. Tom Coffin, who beat Belichick and Brady twice in the Super Bowl, who knows what it takes to slow down the New England offense, and the Jaguars' defense has the horses to do it. Pass rush up the middle. Around the edges doesn't matter because Brady knows how to slide and glide through the pocket, up and in and around the pocket to get away from the guys coming from the outside. It's the inside that gets him. The, the guys who can collapse the middle are the guys that give Brady trouble. And if you hit him early, he starts looking down instead of looking down the field. And then if you have man coverage behind that, there's no zone that Tom Brady's going to pick apart because he'll pick apart his own. He's got 18 years of recall and experience and he said this, I think he said this to Peter King after, um, you know, oh God, accidentally. I had the inadvertent text message that I sent not just to my wife, but to someone in the media. That's what I get for multitasking. Anyway, man coverage behind it. I can't tell you who I sent the inadvertent text message to, but uh, 
chances are it may have been the same person who was on the text message chain that resulted in Shefty getting the text message that he looks like Morty Seinfeld with his glasses. So anyway, the, uh, the man coverage combined with the ability to get heat up the middle can slow down the Patriots' offense. The problem is, can the Jaguars' offense score enough? Can they generate the points necessary? Even when Belichick beat, or even when Belichick lost, sorry, I need to send one more. All right. Um, even when, even when Coughlin beat Belichick and Brady, I should just turn my computer off when I do this. It's hard to do it though, because then I can't see the Twitter questions. Even when Coughlin beat Belichick and Brady, he had Eli Manning to make clutch throws when he needed to. And can Blake Bortles do it? Can the offense do it? No, they scored 45 points against the Steelers. Now, there was one defensive touchdown in there. This one's going to be fascinating. I'm surprised the Patriots are favored by nine. But again, that's the perception of the betting public. That's what drives the lines. People think there's some magical computer in Las Vegas that makes a prediction as to what the final score is going to be. The final score is coincidental to the betting line. The betting line is an effort to get the public to bet half on one team and half on the other. So the public doesn't have a whole lot of respect for the Jaguars. I do. I'm thinking about picking the Jaguars to win. I still have another day to figure that out. At Paul Fitz, Doss, Doss, all things being equal, should teams try to hire offensive head coaches because a successful team will lose coordinators and offensive continuity is more important than defensive, or do you think a head coach is removed enough from coordinating duties that it doesn't matter? It depends upon that head coach. Like Bill Belichick, I don't think it matters, even though he has a defensive background. I think the best coaches become masters in both. You know, Mike Zimmer's going to lose his offensive coordinator, and the way he deals with offensive coordinators is he basically delegates that side of the ball to the coordinator. So that's going to hurt the Vikings. He's going to have to make a good hire, a very good hire. So we'll see what happens with the Vikings, but... It may be better for that reason to have an offensive head coach because I think that's where the continuity is more important. I don't want to sell the defenses short, but it's an offensive-driven league. It's a quarterback-driven league. And uh, I, 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 would, I would tilt that way. And, and you're going to see more and more coaches, I think, be of that offensive background. Although... Matt Patricia is going to be the new coach of the Lions, and apparently they're going to keep their offensive staff in place so they can have the continuity that Matthew Stafford is looking for. At Brendan WM, uh, why did you say Tomlin should get fired? I think you're being sarcastic because I had a follow-up tweet saying, I'm not reporting that Tomlin should be fired. I'm not reporting that... Um, He's going to be fired. I'm just reporting that there are members of the limited partnership that intend to try to get him fired. And they probably won't be successful, but it does give you a glimpse of what's currently going on within portions of the organization. And you have to wonder whether there are others in the organization that feel the same way that the limited partners do. And the one that really matters is Art Rooney. At Sham God, has Cleveland finally reached the bottom of the rabbit hole where... Broke Cream Ben has emerged as a candidate with his anemic offense. Look, I don't know that... Yeah, I... I uh, would he go with the Broke Cream in Cleveland? And weren't they considering him in Green Bay, where he had once been? I just think that Cleveland 
is doing its due diligence. And maybe by throwing out some of these names of guys who have been head coaches, I don't know. Are they trying to make the job look better? <laughs> are they trying to make it look less attractive? Maybe Hugh Jackson's trying to set it up so they interview all these various guys who have been coaches but haven't been great coaches, and then Hugh Jackson finally says, I'm not hiring any of these guys. I'm just going to keep doing it. The one danger of having an offensive coordinator, if you are an embattled coach, is that guy becomes the likely interim head coach, which I think is one of the reasons why Hugh Jackson didn't have an offensive coordinator in 2017. He had some excuse that that guy would get all the blame and he shouldn't get the blame. Baloney. If you don't have an offensive coordinator, it makes it harder to fire you during the season. Because typically, not always, but the offensive coordinator is a prime candidate always to be the interim head coach. Maybe he hires Ben McAdoo because that makes him not likely to be the interim head coach based upon the way things went in New York. Either way, I think that Jackson's being pushed to hire an offensive coordinator, and I do think that John Dorsey is going to evaluate these potential candidates, even though it's ultimately not his hire. I think he wants someone there who could take over as the interim head coach if need be. Next question, another one from at ShamGod. With the news pushers speculating Pat Shermer to be the NYG next coach, shouldn't John Mara make some calls to check the veracity on Tomlin? Uh, Tomlin's not getting fired. I'd be shocked if he gets fired. Now, is he going to be on the hot seat? Next year, the year after that, you know, if Roethlisberger stays three or four more years, that's great for Tomlin because I think they'll continue to be good, good enough that Tomlin doesn't obviously become a candidate to get fired. But if Roethlisberger goes before they have somebody ready to take his place, there could be enough lean years. And um, you get two, three of those lean years, that may be enough. Next question, at jrandall15, I'm listening to your PFTM podcast from yesterday, and you listed off all the bad things that happens to Vikings fans over the years. Do you at all think the Ed Thorpe curse is real? I have no idea what the Ed Thorpe curse is. And Mike Zimmer, the coach of the team, said, if there's a curse, we wouldn't have won. They wouldn't have won the game on Sunday if there's a curse on the Vikings. MH Dunbar 99, why would anyone support Spanos Chargers? They are spineless, dishonest, greedy, and incompetent. No city, no fans, no stadium, no class. I don't know. Why would they? People do. They still got fans there. The real question is going to be when they move into the new stadium, will they be able to sell enough tickets to make it not glaring? When it's apples-to-apples comparison between the Rams and the Chargers in the same stadium, can the Chargers fans fill up enough of those seats? Or will it feel like road games like it did this year? More often than not. At Salty Life, will you unretire from practicing law to represent yourself if you're charged with assault after hitting Paul Allen for pinching your sides in the Super Bowl Vox box? Yes, I will. I'll be pro se. That's the fancy Latin term for I represent myself. I've, I've and I, I, it's a slam dunk case. I've told him if you do it again, you're getting punched in the face. So if he does it, he's assuming the risk of getting punched in the face. So I, I'd like to think that even I wouldn't screw that one up. At Rob Foster 135, why is Mike Vrabel a hothead coaching candidate? His year as a defensive coordinator was not successful. It'll be Vance Joseph all over again. Let him get some more experience, and he'll be great. Must be a Texans fan that doesn't want to lose Vrabel. Look, I think the belief is that 
regardless of, of how long he serves as a coordinator, that he's got the skills and abilities necessary to be a great head coach. Mike Tomlin was only a coordinator for one year, and the Vikings were 8-8 eight eight that season. And their defense was pretty good. It wasn't horrible, but it was pretty good. It wasn't great, but it was pretty good. Tomlin ends up being a very good head coach. So I think this is more about what people see in Vrabel as a head coach. Very different skill set between head coach and defensive coordinator. At Tank Daddy, why does anybody think this time will be different when it comes to Patriots assistants being successful as head coaches? I don't know. I don't know. The key is for these guys to be themselves and not try to be Belichick. To not give the the press conference responses that are completely uninformative. See, there's a there's a especially before you win. Before you win, you got to find a way to be accommodating with the media. You got to find a way to tell the media things that that don't hurt you strategically. You can't give the the, the dismissive answers. You can't intimidate the media until you are so good that no one would listen to the media if they start calling for you to get fired. But if you struggle and you're an asshole to the media, they're going to call for you to get fired because they'd rather have someone there that makes it easier for them to do their jobs. It's human nature. I mean, you could say, oh, this is another reason why the media is bad. Look, think about it. Your job hinges on the quality of information that that the entity you cover is willing to provide. And if you have a coach who's willing to say things that gives you the basis to write interesting stories, or if it's just some guy that's going to say nothing and be combative and be nasty and, and treat reporters in a disrespectful way like Bill Belichick does from time to time, who are you going to prefer to have around? So if you have a guy like that who hasn't won, get him out of here. So... My advice for Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia would be don't be like Belichick. It's been so long since McDaniels was the head coach, I can't remember how he was in Denver. It seems like a different guy. It seems like a different lifetime. Smartest move he ever made was getting his way back to New England. That's transformed him into this perception that he's destined to be the next Belichick from the perspective of he failed in his first stint as a coach, and now he's going to be dramatically better. So... They, they just need to be themselves. Thomas Dimitrov has been the most successful member of that organization elsewhere. And he's just himself. He does things his own way. Bill O'Brien has been fairly successful out of the New England atmosphere. He does things his own way. He's not nearly the same as Belichick when it comes to, to being combative unnecessarily and gratuitously with the media. At Sean Alvashire, wouldn't it make sense for Mike Tomlin to have his agent feel out the Tennessee and Arizona openings if the vocal minority ownership is getting restless? I would have to imagine Tennessee or Arizona, possibly even Denver or Cleveland, being receptive if he's in play. I I don't see Tomlin trying to force his way out. Look, Art Rooney's not going to listen to these limited partners unless he's already thinking about making a move and he wants some internal validation. I guess that's the real news. That if there is any thought, any whisper, any belief by Art Rooney that he's thinking about making a change. And, and how, do you, how do you sell it? Yeah. Look, the reaction to the story from today about the limited partners planning to go to Art Rooney and lobby him to make a coaching change. The reaction from fans that want to reserve the right to complain about Tomlin but don't want him to go. I think it would be a huge mistake to let Tomlin go. Yes, there are flaws. And yes, he's not Bill Belichick, but who is? 
I think the goal is to get Tomlin to be more prepared, to get Tomlin to engage in a critical self-evaluation, a critical self-awareness, and learn how to be more like Belichick. And first thing is you have to admit there's a problem. Now, maybe what they say publicly is just to help take the heat out of the hot kitchen. Maybe privately they understand that they do need to be better when it comes to situational football. But you know what? If they're replacing Todd Haley, they need to find an offensive coordinator who is dedicated and committed to situational football. I'd try to find somebody from the Patriots coaching staff, frankly. Now, if the guy's still under contract, they don't have to let him leave. They only have to let you leave for a head coaching job, which isn't, it used to be that if you were getting a promotion, if you were going to be a coordinator, they had to let you go. But I'd want somebody who's been around that Patriot organization and who understands how they approach situational football and is committed to putting in the time and effort necessary to plan and has the foresight to plan, has the understanding that when you have three minutes and 20 seconds between a touchdown and the replay review of the touchdown, you spend that full 200 ticks of the clock getting your act together for the next series of plays, which Steelers didn't do against the Patriots. And they had no plan for what to do on first and goal from the five. So I think Tomlin will not be going anywhere anytime soon, but I think it's important for him to learn from his failures. He has areas where he can improve. And don't don't we all want to improve? I want to improve every day. I strive to get better every day in everything I do. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But at least I strive to. I don't get the impression Tomlin is striving to get better. Because if he was, if he had learned anything from what happened in week 15 against the Patriots, there would have been a sense that they have a commitment to situational football when he had the ball first and goal from the five with a 10-point deficit. And you know what the best way, I mean, Madden is the equivalent of a coaching flight simulator. Nothing can quite simulate what it's like to be in a game, but the kids that play Madden and the adults who play Madden They all are very good at situational football when it comes to how do I milk the clock? How quickly do I move down the field? What do I need to do here? I'm down two scores. What do I do? Do I go for the end zone? Do I take three? Do I onside kick? Do I not onside kick? Do I go for it on fourth down? What play do I use on fourth down? I think Tomlin should just play Madden over and over again. Get get it? Get here, here, here. Here's here's the Florio workout video. Get an exercise bike and spend the money on a good one because the ones you buy at Sears or wherever else they sell that, you know, you go to the mall and get some crappy little, yeah, it's going to fall apart. You're going to get to a certain speed and it's going to feel rickety. You get yourself a night, make the investment in a nice gym quality bike. They're not as expensive as you'd think they are. You get yourself an Xbox or a PS4, you get Madden and you teach yourself how to work the stick while you're working out. So it's a great it's a, if, especially if you're trying to understand situational football. Mike Tomlin, ride that bike and play Madden over and over and over again. And you will you can't be any worse at situational football. It's not going to make you worse. Let's put it that way. It's only going to make you better. At Terry Gensler 14, can you do some digging on what the Eagles' plan is for DeFilippo or what his plans are? No, I can't. At Abel1408, why are you constantly owned by Pete Prisco? Get the hell out of here. I'm not constantly owned by him. We, we engage in funny banter. There's no animosity there. 
There's animosity with you, Lonzo Garoppolo. Get the hell off my Twitter line. At the Impact 99, would you say the Cowboys more pressing matter is finding a number one receiver such as Eric Decker? Eric Decker is a number one receiver? Dude, what is this, 2012? Come on, man. You can do better than that. At Swales Robert, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Buffalo quarterback situation. What will it be next year? Do we move up and draft a quarterback? I didn't know Brandon Bean was asking the questions. Stay put and draft one. Do we sign, trade, or both? I think that with two first-round picks, and they're back-to-back, I think 21 and 22, and after seeing what other teams have done when they've traded up for a quarterback they want and when they bench Tyrod Taylor, that was the message to the world that they don't envision Tyrod Taylor to be their franchise quarterback. They want a franchise quarterback. They want a Jim Kelly. I think they're going to trade up. I think they're going to trade up. It's just a question of who they want. At Hard Truths is the Jaguars' pass defense overrated given the slate of quarterbacks they played this year. You know, that may not. I was looking at their schedule. I was looking at their wins. I was looking at their losses. Let me pull it out here in my my handy-dandy record and fact book. Jacksonville Jaguars. Here's their schedule. At Houston. We know how that went. They, they destroyed the Texans week one, but uh, Tom Savage got rattled by sacks, and by the time Deshaun Watson came in, it didn't matter. Tennessee beat them, and Tennessee... Hmm, they destroyed Baltimore, which is impressive in hindsight, but at the time, Baltimore wasn't great. But, you know, they... they they, Joe Flacco is not the guy he used to be. They, they, uh, did they then lose to the Jets? They were, that's when they were in the win-one-lose-one mode, right? Then they lost to the Jets. That's not impressive. They won at Pittsburgh, but they still went. They, they, that's when they picked off Ben Roethlisberger five times. That was the best performance of their defense, even though Roethlisberger threw 55 passes. They lost to the Rams. They beat the Colts without Andrew Luck. They beat the Bengals. And... I mean, it wasn't a blowout, if I recall correctly. They had a very, very close win over the Chargers in overtime. You look at their schedule, you look at their quarterbacks, I don't disagree with that. I I think there is a chance they get picked apart by the Patriots' offense, even though they do have the pieces to give Tom Brady a hard time. The the Patriots have a week to study. They have a chance to adjust. They have a chance to to prepare. And, And you know what? Even though Bill Belichick would never admit this, would it surprise anyone to find out he spent a lot of time during the bye week preparing for the Jaguars, knowing that that there's a pretty good chance they were going to go into Pittsburgh and win? Don't you think there's a chance that happened? I think there's a pretty good chance that happened. Next question at Crawl: If Pete Carroll retired or left the Seahawks, do the Seahawks have enough talent in place to pull a big name from college, Harbaugh or Saban, et cetera. Well, they have a franchise quarterback. Harbaugh would be fascinating as the successor to Pete Carroll. That would be fascinating. And I think Russell Wilson's always going to be a draw. He wants to play 16 more years, wants to play until he's 45. I, I think that would be great. I think that that having a franchise quarterback always makes a coaching job more attractive, regardless of who the candidates are. At the Impact 99, let's see if this question's better, Jeremy York. Would you help stage an intervention for Aaron Rodgers when he dates other celebrities? He has down years. Hashtag asking for a friend. You know, I, uh, we, we have a, a moratorium on any who is Aaron Rodgers dating posts. You will not see anything at PFT about his latest celebrity hookup, and I'm not even going to go any farther with it here. I, I don't think it matters to whether he has a good year or a bad year, but, you know, every once in a while there's one of these quarterbacks who all of a sudden 
cracks into the glitterati and is dating celebrities. Um, and Aaron Rodgers is one of them, for better or worse. At so Bo Bro 14 what will Matt Patricia's coaching career be like since he definitely can't get a head coaching job due to his appearance? Oh, that's good. Well, and it wasn't his appearance that was the issue with me. The issue that, that I thought would cause teams to have pause when it comes to Patricia is that that decision to wear the Roger Goodell clown nose shirt. Because there is a dotted line at a minimum, if not a bright line, from that to his overall judgment. Smart guy. But, man, not the best exercise of judgment. And and look, I, that beard, I don't know, is he going to shave that beard? Is he at least going to trim that beard? I mean, you can have a beard. Like, my kid's got a beard that is that is a trimmed and kempt beard as opposed to an unkempt beard. And the baseball hat backwards and the Mike Tice pencil, all those things are going to be cute and quirky if they win. If they lose, they're not going to be so cute and they're not going to be so quirky. Mike Tice's pencil in the ear uh, ended up being an irritant to a lot of people once uh, he started making some meathead decisions, as if that pencil were puncturing his brain. At Uncle Phil, what's your favorite Super Bowl to rewatch? I don't rewatch any Super Bowls. I don't. I'm always thinking forward. I'm not like Stats, who subjects himself to Super Bowl 47 constantly. He's a 49ers fan. I think eventually he believes it's going to be a different outcome. I, I, I always look ahead. I don't look behind. I don't go back and watch old games, except if there's something that I'm looking for that's relevant to whatever story I'm working on or storyline I'm working on. But uh, I, I just don't. I don't do it. Now, I used to love watching on ESPN the half-hour Super Bowl highlight shows in the two weeks before the Super Bowl, where that was like the majority of the programming on ESPN before the Super Bowl. I loved that. Now, that was back when there was only like 25 of them. Now there's 51 of them. It's too many. And I think I have the DVDs. I may have the DVDs somewhere. I just don't know that I have a functioning DVD player anymore. But it would be kind of fun to go back and watch those now. Maybe I do. Maybe I need to go all... Thank you for putting an idea in my head that's going to waste my time. Waste my productive time. I need to, I need to watch all those old half-hour NFL films videos of the Super Bowls from 1 to 51. At the Impact 99, if he becomes available, better fit for Jimmy Graham, Atlanta, Dallas, or elsewhere. I mean, I made the argument today on PFT Live that the Falcons should consider Jimmy Graham. They haven't had a true great pass-catching tight end since Tony Gonzalez. And wouldn't it be something to bring him back to the division and have him pitted against the Saints twice a year? And think about red zone. Look at how they struggled in the red zone when they could have won the game. You have Jimmy Graham. Even if you don't throw it to him, they got to account for him. And that's how they were going to use him in Seattle, but they never quite did. I think Matt Ryan would use him that way. Matt Ryan's willing to throw those balls into the end zone when they're in the red zone that can only be caught by his guy. And the bigger his guy, like that same pass that was thrown to Julio Jones, maybe Jimmy Graham catches it. If I'm the Falcons, I'm all over Jimmy Graham. All over him. At T-Dark13, who will be your number one pick in fantasy next year? Is that is that your way of asking me in advance how my fantasy team is doing? Get off my Twitter timeline. At LifeTag, do you think Drew Brees will take a low contract to help the team with cap space? I mean, he does count for $18 million right out of the gates. On the team or not. So, one of, the, one of the good points for the Saints, they've got so many good young players who are on those rookie wage scale contracts. They can afford to, to spend money on Drew Brees. Now, in a couple of years, they're not going to be able to. Because some of these great young players are going to have to get paid. Alvin Kamara and Marshawn Lattimore. Ryan Ramchick if he continues to develop the way he has. 
it's the Seattle Seahawks problem that you eventually get. These guys that you got in the mid to late rounds who don't cost you very much under the cap, all of a sudden they're going to cost you a lot under the cap because they're going to want to get paid and they deserve to get paid. Uh, let's see what's next. At Seth, does anyone click those annoying game score updates you link via Twitter? Are they profitable? Hey, Seth, just stop following us. If you don't like any of the content, let me just make a general observation. If there's anything about the content that we have that irritates you or annoys you, just quit following us, right? I mean, I, I don't understand why you'd follow us only to complain about what's on our content. During games, what we do is we do periodic updates. I've got five total writers on staff, and everyone is assigned every game. All 256 games, you're going to get a halftime update. You're going to get a story about the, the relevant developments in the game. So you can, and, and if you don't want to click it, don't click it. But these are on game days. They're football games being played. What the hell else are we supposed to write about, Seth? When football games are being played, I'll welcome your input. Please provide it on Twitter. Oh, wait, I don't follow you, so I don't know how I'll find out. But seriously, if, if anyone out there, and this, this, I don't know why I'm getting riled up about it, but, but I don't understand it. I mean, I only follow the accounts that I get value from. If you're not getting value, then quit following. Quit following us if, it, if, it's, not, if it's not valuable to you. I, I don't understand that. I actually feel better now. Thank you, Seth. Terry Kensler, 14, if the NFL offered all of the games last weekend free to stream on the app, wouldn't that directly impact the TV ratings? I, it, yeah, I wonder, is that what they're going to say? You know, they haven't had a media briefing in a while. They were doing them like twice a week. They haven't had one in a while. Maybe that's what they'll put out. Maybe that's what they'll push. They did stream the games for free on NFL Mobile. I don't know how hard they they uh, pushed that, but it was nice. I left the stadium in Philly to get my flight after halftime, and I watched the rest of the game on my phone. And I watched the first quarter and a half of the Titans-Patriots game on my phone until I lost signal when the, the wheels went up. And I missed, like, I don't know, 40 minutes of the game, and by the time wheels came down, the game was over. But I, I thought that was great. And, and it would affect TV ratings if, if you just, you know, if you don't have to get around to TV. So we'll see if the NFL points that out because the ratings were down again for the divisional round. At Ryan Dupree, could you see a day where the NFL drops all pretense that football can be played safely? People still watch and enjoy UFC and auto racing despite the obvious safety risk. Is violence in football the problem? Or is the problem the NFL not simply being forthcoming about it? No, I, I think... The, the problem is the, the NFL, which somehow avoided getting caught up in the whole steroids thing, that stuck to baseball, even though, and, and I don't know, do, do football fans just look at at football players and say, well, hell yeah, we know that they're pharmaceutically enhanced. It's just, you know, what do we expect? These guys beat the hell out of each other every week. They got to get ready to play the next weekend. Of course they're doing something. We're fine with that. We accept that. In baseball, it's an affront to the integrity of anyone who's ever worn a glove. But for the same reasons that steroids stuck to baseball, the head trauma thing sticking to football. And I think a lot of it has to do with the media. And I'm part of the media. I don't want to sound like one of these anti-media folks, but there are so many people in the media who don't like football and or they want to be responsible for the demise of football and or they want to witness the demise of football. 
every time one of the reporters out there, and it's the the Fainer Waters at ESPN, they're at the forefront of this. They want to be the Woodward and Bernsteins of bringing down the NFL. And the other real reporters who fancy themselves, I don't know, something other than people who write about football for a living, they will applaud the long-form article. It doesn't matter if it's not accurate. It doesn't matter if it's misleading. That's the one big beef I have with, what was the book they did? I can't remember the name of the book. It's sitting on my bookshelf in here. The book that they did, and there was the documentary on PBS, very, very minimal mentions of the NFL Players Association's role in looking the other way on concussions and concealing the risks of concussions. And the NFLPA is the players. It, it makes the attack on the NFL seem slanted and biased, and, and, and it, it causes me to, to really give no credibility to anything those guys do because I think their agenda is to bring down the NFL. And they want to be the ones who get praised into, into eternity as the, the two men who brought down the biggest, baddest sport on the planet. That, that's, and they're never going to admit that, but that, that's just the sense I get. And I think the media has a lot to do with the hand-wringing over football. Because if these people really cared about humans who were suffering head trauma, they'd be writing about UFC. They'd be writing about other sports. UFC is so ridiculously brutal. And nobody ever says boo about it. I mean, I, I think some of those folks end up with five concussions in one fight. Because once you get your opponent down and they start doing that hammer fist, you, you will see the referee fly in. There was one match that we were watching down in the barn where it almost took out took out the ACL of the guy who was applying the hammer fists. But by the time even then, you can't get there before the person's had multiple concussions. It is so ridiculously brutal, and nobody ever says anything about it. I've been going on for too long. Let's see all we got here. Hey, if you want to get your question answered, you got to ask it earlier. At Paul PJ5, do agents get compensation when a player is franchise tag? Since they're not negotiating, why would they get one to two percent? I recall at one point there was a rule that for a franchise tag player, y- your your compensation was lower, but that was when the default was three percent. I really don't know. I haven't thought about it in a long time. But uh, they get compensation, but but uh, it may not be as much as they ordinarily get. At RBE Morris, Rob Morris, RB Morris, sorry, RBE Morris, Rob Bob Morris, cousins to Denver, maybe. I just think the Broncos need somebody who will be a leader in the locker room, and I'm not sure cousins can be. I'm not sure he will be. They need a Peyton Manning type of a personality who holds people accountable. That's why I'd be intrigued by Drew Brees. And I don't know who else fits into that mold who'd be available this year. The the Johan Castro, what's the or Castro, what's the best coaching job available? T- try telling me it isn't the Colts. Oh, look, the Colts is an attractive job, and I think it's impressive that Chris Ballard convinced Josh McDaniels to take it. The one thing that concerns me is the ongoing health issues with Andrew Locke, the lack of star players around him, and an owner who potentially could drive you crazy if you don't have a plan for getting him out of your office when he decides he wants to come in and talk for two straight hours, kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm kind of like the Jim Irsay in your office that's talking for two straight hours. Let's see what else we got here. At Hipsta 19, do you see a high-scoring game between the Patriots and the Jaguars? I I mean, they scored 45 against the Steelers, so I want to say yes. I just don't see it happening. My gut tells me no, which probably means yes. At Sean Fergo 2, best head coaching fit for the Titans to get Marcus Murray on a track and use some of these weapons on offense. Look... 
they're sniffing around John DeFilippo in Arizona as the possible head coach, unless that is their their cover for interviewing him for the offensive coordinator job. His contract's going to expire. And maybe you just hire, try to hire DeFilippo to be the, the coordinator in Tennessee. But you need somebody who is going to use the principles offensively that we've seen teams with mobile quarterbacks use. And the balance is coming up with ways to harness the mobility without putting the quarterback unnecessarily in harm's way. And I feel like the Titans tried too hard this year to keep Marcus Mariota healthy. He's not a big guy. He's not like Carson Wentz. He's going to get hurt if he gets hit. He's been banged up multiple times. Knee injury, hamstring this year. Suffered a quad injury against the Patriots on Saturday night. But I think that the Titans' search has been compromised by the fact that they won a playoff game. The fact that they made it and the fact that they won one because now they're two weeks behind everybody else. So who knows what they do. Remember when it felt like it was destined that Chip Kelly was going to coach Marcus Mariota? But the last time that job came open, they had no interest in him, and he's he's now ensconced at UCLA. But uh, somebody who runs a Chip Kelly-style offense, somebody who is able to in- incorporate those college principles but also find a way to keep the quarterback healthy. At Eddie Young 2015, how many games will the Colts win next year? I don't know. At Blunts, dad? I don't get it. At Ryan Dupree, given the rise and profile and responsibility of NFL coach, could you see a day where NFL coaches unionize? Nope, because no one's going to want to be the one who gives up his career to to start a union. And also, head coaches, I think, are sufficiently aligned with management that they wouldn't be eligible for a union. I think it would be all the assistants in a union. I think once you become a head coach, I think by law, I think you have too many responsibilities to be a coach. You're part of management. And so you'd be in the union until you become a head coach, and then you'd leave the union. At poor CP Chris, is Steve Wilkes now a legitimate candidate for anyone, or is he now just a Rooney Rule checkmark? I think he's a legitimate candidate. And and the guy's been a coordinator for, what, one year? I, I think he's destined to get a head coaching job. And until then, I don't think he's going to say no to opportunities to interview because there's a chance he's going to sit for the right interview and he's going to end up getting the head coaching job that he's looking for. I mean, think about it. If Wilkes would go to Tennessee and deliver Mike Shula as the coordinator, I mean, Shula... I, I, People hated Shuley in Carolina. I mean, I thought they, I thought the offense was okay. And he went back to Auburn and found things that Cam Newton did there that worked well, and they, they built the offense around him. I, I like the idea of Wilkes as the head coach and Mike Shula as the coordinator in Tennessee. I just feel like the Titans need to, to make a splash in order to get people back in the stadium. I keep wanting to end, but I keep saying one more. At QB NFL, top rookie quarterback without question, Deshaun Watson. Are you talking about coming in? Coming in, I don't know. Coming in, I, I haven't even thought about it yet. There, there's a ceiling above whatever they did in college and the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I just I don't, I don't know at this point. At Black 88 Elite, will anyone besides ABC bid for Thursday Night Football? I think that NBC and CBS will most make a, most likely make a bid. I don't think Fox will. And, and I don't think the NFL is interested in any non-broadcast networks for that simulcast because it's going to be on NFL Network. It's already on cable. They want a partner who's going to broadcast on a three-letter platform with maximum eyeballs and also pay for the production of the NFL Network-only games, which is fine. Look, it's, when you've got the leverage, you use it. All right, I got to go. Uh, I got most of them. Appreciate your time. We are going to be joined by... Malik Jackson on Thursday's PFT Live. I saw a video of him yelling for Mike Mitchell going into the locker room on Sunday after the Jaguars beat the Steelers. I want to hear from Malik Jackson as it relates to 
the Jaguars' chances of advancing past the New England Patriots. Remember, he played for the Broncos team that beat the Patriots a couple of years ago in the AFC Championship game. We'll have Tony Dungy on Wednesday's PFT Live. I've got two other interviews lined up, possibly for tomorrow's PFT PM. One is pretty much baked in, but the other one, I'll announce on Twitter, and, and I hope that Steph, I have his approval, to announce on Twitter the guest for tomorrow's PFTPM. I, I hope I don't upset his Twitter sensibilities by wasting his time with the tweet. Once I tape the first one tomorrow morning, I will announce the lineup for tomorrow's PFTPM. But I think you will like it. I hope you will like it. Maybe you'll like it. If you don't, just stop listening to it. If you have not stopped listening so far, thank you. You win a one-year subscription to the PFTPM podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another one. Tomorrow, tomorrow's Wednesday. We will be back tomorrow with another PFTPM podcast. Appreciate your time as always. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.